Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Valerie Bowden. She is the founder of Cradle.com. That's spelt C-R-D-L-E. This is a really interesting story with Valerie. She, as a young lady, backpacked from South Africa all the way up to Egypt, and as a result, spent basically the next 10 years based in Ethiopia in Africa. She has, as a result, built Cradle.com to assist with African brands and companies, products and services to get more attention uh, in the in the world and help with the buying process. Uh, I'll let, of course, Valerie explain her story. She does it infinitely better than me, but it's really an inspiring story. And Valerie has taken it upon her to help generate interest and help break down the barriers of people engaging with African products and services. She is very knowledgeable on outsourcing also, outsourcing uh, professional services. So it's a really great conversation. And I certainly learned a lot about Ethiopia and Africa generally. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start or somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish Inside Outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Valerie, welcome to the show. Tell us about Cradle. Hey, Derek. Thank you so much for having me. Cradle is a marketplace that connects African brands to businesses around the world. That includes physical products, like if you wanted to source coffee from Ugandan farmers, and it also includes outsourcing services. Fantastic. And what do you know about Africa? You've, you've spent a little bit of time there yourself, yeah? I did, yeah. So after grad school, I did this crazy backpacking trip. So I I took a one-way flight to Cape Town, and then I backpacked by myself with just a tent and a backpack 
all the way until I got to to Egypt, so Cape to Cairo. Um, wow. Went through 13 African countries, and I found out that every African country is so different from the next one, and even parts of the same country really vary. And after my trip, I relocated to Addis Ababa, and I spent eight years in Ethiopia. Along the way, I met my husband, who's Ethiopian, and we just moved back to the U.S. earlier this year. Congratulations. Wow, what a journey, just beginning with that backpacking journey. First of all, how long did it take you to get from uh, South Africa to Egypt? It took me seven months and nine days, and... I still feel like I missed so much of what the countries have to offer. Um, there's so many incredible travel destinations that you can can see and visit, and it was it was a really good experience. It was super safe, really fun, and definitely a, a great time. Incredible. Did you take any flights, or was it all overland? It was all over land, so no flights, but I did these like crazy minibus rides where it's like a 12-passenger van and then there's 20 people and four goats on it. Um, I also did cargo boats where I was bailing out the water while on the boat and did one train and lots of hitchhiking as well. Crazy. I actually did South America for about one year when I was... uh about 20 and it, it is an incredible experience isn't it and it really makes you kind of uh, independent i suppose um it's it's a great kind of formative process um I, and of course yeah, it, it changed your life did you what was your connection to africa prior to this did you did you have a sort of a, a spidey sense that africa was your destination Well, I was a social work major, so I did grad school and undergrad social work, and I I wanted to do international development. So right after college, I went to Ethiopia first before my backpacking trip on a three-month volunteer trip with um, to work with orphans. And unfortunately, when I when I got to Ethiopia, I realized that like so many others realize that volunteering can actually have a really negative impact on the local community and a lot of the nonprofits and the big charities I saw that were, you know, well known in the US were actually creating a negative impact. Um, money was being misspent and and sometimes the the local people were, you know, hurt or harmed because of the projects that were were started. Um so it was it was a really good learning experience. You know, my eyes were wide open that charity doesn't really always fix what it what it sets out to do. Um, but at the same time, I, I really loved Ethiopia. Like the culture was really cool. It was really different than I expected. The food, the coffee, the people were amazing. So I went back to the U.S., got went to grad school, and then I could not get Ethiopia out of my head. And I just kept thinking, if Ethiopia surprised me so much, what about other African countries? So that's why I took a one-way ticket to Cape Town, and I just explored the continent and it, it just floored me with how how many amazing things are there that, that nobody really talks about usually it's only the, the bad media that, that you hear so um yeah and then just one thing led to another and that's how I ended up staying staying on the continent for so long and the what was that like that that sort of rude awakening of realizing that charity wasn't necessarily so um wasn't so effective like it it's 
and it's counterintuitive, isn't it? You think all charity is good charity, and I think that's coming to the surface a bit now, but it's very hard to affect change, and it's very hard to do things efficiently, isn't it? And so what were you seeing in terms of charity that made you realize it's not as easy as it sounds? Right. I think there's, I mean, there's different kinds of charities and a lot of them have different problems. So specifically when it comes to volunteering, I realized like I was taking a job that a local could have had. When it comes to donating clothes or products, what, what tends to happen is you donate, let's say American clothes and you'll wipe out the textile industry because nobody's going to buy clothes from like the local store if they're getting everything free. Mm -hmm. So you're actually getting rid of jobs. Um, when it comes to other types of projects, you know, sometimes I've seen NGOs will fund, let's say they'll fund a street child to, um, get back to their home by, you know, reuniting them with their family and giving them, let's say a cow for income. And then what happens, especially in Ethiopia, where this project happened, um, families end up giving up their kids so that they could get some kind of income. And then kids along the way would get, get lost on the streets. So it's, you know, like there's like well-intended projects that then backfire and create kind of negative harm on the way. And mm. I mean, I could go on and on with all the, the horrible things I've seen. Um, and sometimes it's just mismanagement of funds so that the people who are actually benefiting are the, the Americans. Um, but the one thing that I really focused on when I was backpacking is I, I still was kind of questioning, you know, what actually is working. So when I was backpacking, I would stop at tech hubs, women's associations, missionaries, nonprofits, charities, schools. I, I just kind of visited a lot of things. And it, it just it became so obvious that whenever there's good, well-paying jobs, that's when communities thrive. And that's when women especially are able to take take bigger opportunities and really support their family and their kids. And that's when, you know, the next generation is also impacted in a positive way. And so that's one of the things when I was in Ethiopia and began working, I guess, in the tech sector, I loved the idea that you can create jobs so quickly and create, you know, really good income. And, and that at the end of the day is reducing poverty in a sustainable way, reducing political and ethnic tension and really creating win-win partnerships. Incredible. So tell us about your journey with Cradle then. So you relocated to Ethiopia and obviously you're very, you're socially minded, but what was the, I suppose, is this a, is it, what will I say? Is it, is it a sort of charitable foundation? Is it a for-profit that's doing good? Is it um, socially minded commerce? How, how would you sort of position Cradle? I would say socially minded commerce as far as we are for profit business um, and we really we know that our clients really want good business propositions. Nobody wants charity on either side. Everybody wants, you know, a winning um, business relationship. However, I, I mean, I personally love that when we connect someone to, let's say developers in Ethiopia, that we are creating jobs for, for college youth, or mm. when we connect, um, you know, a farmer to, to a really premium buyer in Europe, I love that the farmer can get paid more. Um, we have a lot of really eco-friendly conscious brands. And especially now that I've had kids, I start thinking more about the environmental impact. And so, yeah, I mean, I love that we can create social impact and do good business at the same time. There's so many, so many, so many factors to consider, isn't it? Does it, does it sometimes 
do you feel burdened by you know all of the north stars or for you does that sort of amalgamate into one north star for for cradle I no I mean I get there there's obviously so many needs but I get so fired up that like I get to spend every single day making these really cool connections um that do create a social impact and create like winning business so the more the more I do it the more I learn there's so many ways I've loved to to deepen, you know, the social impact that we can make and the environmental impact. But at, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm really excited and like invigorated by by the work we get to do. And just before the call, like we we discussed that you had significant involvement with, with a couple of outsourcing firms in Ethiopia and, you know, feel free to mention them if, if you want. Uh, and it's a small world because we have actually been talking to that same firm and there is a sort of mutual interest of course for Ethiopia and the outsourcing industry to develop its industry to get more business and and to then of course employ more people and um, it, it's a powerful thing isn't it and what have you seen in terms of the evolution of the outsourcing industry within within Ethiopia then? That's Great question. I'm really excited about how Ethiopia is going to grow. I'm very biased. So, you know, I think it's going to be one of the fastest growing tech BPO um, countries in Africa. Um, so, so like you said, I stumbled into tech outsourcing when I was working for MMCY Tech, which is like an amazing American um, company that provides remote talent. And then my husband works for um, or worked for the other kind of big BPO company, which is Accelerant, and they're both great companies. Um, and together with with the other BPO companies in Ethiopia, we helped launch the, the Ethiopian Outsourcing Association. And um, just through the years I spent in Ethiopia, everything has been pointing towards making this country a great a great hub for outsourcing. And there's a few reasons for that. First, because Ethiopia is a huge population. So there is 110 million people in Ethiopia. So when these larger companies want to come in and get 100 seats, 1,000 seats, you can do that very easily in Ethiopia compared to other African countries that are smaller. Um, English is well-spoken. A lot of Ethiopians have a very like American-leaning accent. So that makes for great... Um, customer service reps and um, cold calling reps. Um, and in general, it's just, I mean, I'm again, biased towards Ethiopia, but it's a great country to want to work with. The, the internet's getting faster. They're opening it up to other internet providers. So there's a lot of reasons why I think Ethiopia is going to really boom in the next few years. It's really exciting, isn't it? And, you know, I think you, you can develop where you set your attention and, uh, with Ethiopia now, you know, and I say Ethiopia, but but hopefully now the uh, outsourcing association and then the the sort of kernel um, companies that are starting that it, it could blossom into something incredible, yeah. And the the opportunity of outsourcing, I see, really is just connecting a previously disconnected uh, economy to the western and global economy and as soon as you just plug into the global economy instead of being limited to a sort of compromised domestic economy the there's just no no end to the potential yeah and and it's 
exciting work. Um, it's, you know, there's an endless potential sort of career ladder for people that enter the work. Uh, and of course, it's, it's good work where people can sort of build a great career and, and better themselves and get really engaged. And they can do all of that from their town, their living room or a local office. Like it's, it's pretty powerful. Yeah? It's really exciting. Yeah. And it's, it's like what you were saying. There's, I think Ethiopia, because it has such a high population and because the government's invested so much in education over the past couple decades, but it's churning out more computer science grads than I think anywhere on the continent and probably, you know, high up in the world as well. And you're right. Like before recently, there's all these amazing graduates with great skills, but they really couldn't get connected to um, good work opportunities and they were limited with not enough locally. Um, and then COVID happened and all of a sudden remote work has really opened up the door for things to, to take off there, I think. And do you know, you know, I don't know if you have insights, but what are you seeing on the ground in Ethiopia? Is it, is it, is it booming from, you know, obviously it's, it's a small beginning, but are you seeing a significant growth in the outsourcing industry and are the general population there aware of the opportunities in the, the industry? I would say, um, I mean, first of all, I think it is boomy. It's starting to get bigger for sure. I think when you look at these, these companies, they're starting to get, more and more, more requests. So maybe a company in the US starts with 20 customer service reps and then they're building up to 100. And some of these bigger players like um, CCI, which is a big outsourcing company in Africa, is now moving into Ethiopia. And so they're looking at even more, more hires. So from that perspective, it's definitely getting bigger. Um, but I don't think locally or even internationally, Ethiopia people are aware that Ethiopia is becoming this. Um, I know even when I talk to U.S. clients about hiring from Ethiopia, you know, they're still questioning. Um, they still bring up things about like the famine in the 80s, you know. So um, I don't think it's really on anyone's radar. And in Ethiopia or abroad, I don't think it's it's quite there yet. Right. And that is, it's a really important factor, isn't it? The, the sort of brand position of these countries and People are fairly reflexive, and I suppose on on terms of their feelings for things. And look, I know almost nothing about Africa, and it's one of the only places that I I haven't travelled to apart from sort of Egypt and around the edges of it. But um, uh, and that is a, a battle, isn't it? Like, how do you see? And maybe we can, you know, well, how do how do you see that developing? Is it just sort of brick by brick? Um, and building sort of trust along the way? I guess, yeah, probably brick by brick. Uh, Ethiopians have a saying, like, little by little, the, the chicken grows legs. Uh, <laughs> um, so I think I think hopefully it, it will become, you know, more well-known. But at the same time, it's, you know, the media always just portrays the worst of the worst about Ethiopia and other African countries, and you never hear the good things. So just in general, I don't think people know much about Ethiopia. They don't know that it's the country that founded and invented coffee. It's one of the biggest coffee exporters in the world. Um, you know, I think some people are starting to see that, you know, all the great runners in the Olympics tend to be from Ethiopia or Kenya. 
um, Ethiopia was like the only country never colonized in Africa. So it's like, it has a really unique history and it has a different calendar and a different way of telling time. And it, there's a, it's like a different year there right now. So there's all these really funny little um, quirky things about it that make it really endearing. And even, you know, when you, Ethiopian food is amazing. It's great vegetarian food. But at the end of the day, most people think about India as having the best vegetarian food. And I, I would say that Ethiopia probably has better like vegan and vegetarian options. So there's all these like amazing things about Ethiopia that most people don't know. And so hopefully, you know, little by little, these things kind of catch on and people start to see more of a holistic perspective of the country. Yeah, fascinating, isn't it? And and Cradle, then your business, um, it's it's primarily focuses on commerce, but as well outsourcing and and um, you know professional services. But you you aren't so much the the manufacturer, but you're more the the branding, promotion, distribution arm for existing African brands. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I like to say that we're an online marketplace that makes it easy to to source from Africa, whether that's products or just finding the right outsource provider. And part of the reason why I launched Cradle is because um, for a while I had a product-based um, company in Ethiopia. And um, one day I got a call from IKEA. Um, at the time, IKEA, before COVID, had an office in Addis, and they were trying to find products to source from the continent. And they had a really difficult time finding the right supplier. And right away, just meeting with them and being with them, I was easily able to, you know, refer some of the companies that they would, you know, want to work with. And I just thought, like, if IKEA, with all their finance and research and desire to source from Africa, is having a hard time finding the right the right suppliers, then what about everybody else? And so just on my own, on social media, I just started saying, you know, people should source from Africa. Here are the benefits. It, you know, it reduces poverty. You get unique products. It's an Alibaba like alternative. Um, and people started messaging me saying, okay, so who's the best t-shirt manufacturer? What coffee supplier should we choose? Um, and then as I started working in tech outsourcing with MMCY, I realized that, you know, talent in Ethiopia is, is really amazing and so competitive and yet no one knows about it. And people continue to to still think of, you know, African countries as needing charity. And, um, you know, that's not what changes things. So that's why I, I launched Cradle as like a marketplace. So you can go on there if you want vanilla, if you want um, private label coffee, if you want an executive assistant, you can really just search for what you want and the suppliers will pop up and you can message them directly. It takes out the middleman um, it allows, you know, African companies to have more market access. And yeah, our whole goal is just to make it easy to to connect with African brands. They say in business, one of the sayings is that the first time founder focuses on the product and then second time founder focuses on distribution. And I have learned that over my career that everything, the, the foundation of everything is really the distribution, you can have the best product in the world, but if people don't know about it and people can't get their hands on it and, um, you know, there's there's sort of barriers and friction, then it, it makes it a really tough job. And, um, you know, Cradle and, and these marketplaces, they're so valuable and powerful, aren't they, in terms of getting the word out there, um, you know, getting it into people's sort of awareness, building a narrative around them and then reducing the friction to actually 
um, transacting if, if people are inclined to do so. It, it's so powerful, isn't it? It, exactly. And I felt like there was, um, there's more and more B2B platforms popping up, but I didn't feel like there was one that really was just focused on African brands and, you know, their unique selling points, their unique challenges, and one that really merged um, like the, the cool products that I, I fell in love with while I was traveling and also had the outsourcing jobs that, you know, over the past few years, I've been really excited about. So yeah, I launched Cradle to to help with that, and it's been it's been really amazing to see um, to see everything it's accomplished so far. And how is it going? Do you think people are attracted to the site because they have an intrinsic interest in African products or sort of helping out the social impact, or is it because they're looking for a particular product that has caught their eye and they're really wild by the product, or is it a combination of all of those things? I think it's a combination. I think when it comes to to talent, we find most of our clients, um, it's it's less about the social impact and more just about wanting to find, you know, someone to add to their team. Um, so, for example, we had like a Danish client who who had an executive assistant who didn't speak English well, and their international clientele was building. Um, and so we matched them with, with an Ethiopian who had great English. And so it really wasn't about the social impact. It was really about what the, the Ethiopian talent could, could bring. I think when it comes to products, that's where we see people who are more socially impact minded and the, and the reason why they reach out to us, um, just, um, wanting to, to have a direct impact with working with African farmers directly or wanting to work with a women's association, um, but at the end of the day, you know, they still have product quality to, to meet and they still have to meet FDA approval when they import to the U.S. So it's, it can't just be based on social impact. There has to be, you know, good quality standards as well. So it's definitely, I think, a combination. And it's, it's, it's important that, isn't it? You know, I, I really believe like the social impact of things, it, it's great, but things have to be able to stand on their own two feet. And mm-hmm. People can get a free pass once or twice, but, you know, ultimately it has to be competitive. It has to be high quality, as you say. It has to sort of meet FDA standards, safety standards, quality standards, and all of this. But but those products are out there, aren't they? And the good thing is once you start consuming one or two, then it actually creates the economic stimulation where there's then three or four available and it, and it grows and it blossoms. So I, I fully believe in, you know, both for products, but also staffing, um, there shouldn't be any kind of, well, not that there shouldn't, but it, it's difficult when you mix charity with business. If, if they can stand on their own feet, um, it, it's powerful. And I think in a lot of these situations, it's not because there is lacking quality or capability. It's actually just because of that distribution issue you know, people historically have been um, geographically distant. And then so there's incredible friction between um, getting products or, or um, staffing solutions out of Africa into the Western economy. And now with technology, hopefully a lot of those friction points and barriers and borders are being eradicated. It's it's brilliant to see, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's um, it's really cool to see. It's it's amazing that there's so many African suppliers that have really good standards. That I mean, they have the ISO requirements, the organic, the FDA approvals. They have everything. So it is just you know giving them access 
to market and giving them a platform where they can amplify their voice and find the right customers. And, you know, when it comes to talent, I think most people would be surprised to find that there are so many Fortune 500 companies who are already outsourcing talent to Ethiopia. So, I mean, McDonald's, Walmart, Intel, um, you know, Altour, Cvent, all of these big companies already are using talent from Ethiopia. And they would not be doing that if the level of quality was not there. Um, you know, they definitely, they definitely focus on quality first. And so, you know, I think it's a sign that the quality is there. And it's more about, again, spreading, spreading the message that, that, you know, you should be sourcing from Ethiopia or an African country if you want to be competitive in, in today's business world. Yeah, absolutely. On, on a slightly side note, China has been investing a lot in Africa. And, and do you see, and of course, you know, China, like whatever people think about China, it lifted about 600 million people out of poverty over the last sort of 15, 20 years and largely through um, manufacturing and commerce and production. And they've been investing, you know, um, amounts into Africa. And ha- have you seen any positive impact there? Are, is there any, are they, they're sort of building roads and stadiums I hear, but do you see any sort of um, is grassroots involvement from China and is how's that impacting the economy or commerce in across Africa? Right. Okay. That's, um, that is a dicey a political question. question. <laughs> um, yeah. And people have really strong thoughts. And I think it's, um, you know, I know that there have been some, definitely some shady practices that have, that have happened. Um, but I, I do applaud a lot of their work. I mean, when I was in Ethiopia, the, you know, the train in, in the city is built because, because of their funding and, um, they have built lots of roads and bridges and development. And um, I, I think that's incredibly useful and valuable. And they have made a lot of positive social impact. And, you know, when I compare it to other other programs, um, I, w- I won't mention names, but from other countries, um, a lot of them have been failures, you know, millions have been invested and the social impact hasn't been returned. And, you know, just the Chinese money has built tangible things that have really been useful. So um, as always, you know, when it comes to aid, there's better ways to do it. Um, so I'm hoping, you know, every country in the world that's giving aid is doing it in a better way. But yeah, I think China has played definitely um, somewhat of a very positive role. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And apparently they took their playbook from the US, Yeah, you know, in terms of using, using their power to sort of have influence. And it's, but obviously there's... Mm-hmm. There's a double-edged sword to to all of that. And if you were to give some highlights of African products, like, you know, I and I don't even know if this is a myth or real, but everyone talks about Ethiopian cotton, uh, sorry, Egyptian cotton. Uh, and so what are the highlights if, if you're going to take us on a sort of continent tour of, of Africa? You mentioned coffee. What, what really stands out for you in Ethiopia and then across Africa? Yeah, the great question. Um, probably the thing we get the the biggest request for is private label coffee, and we have a really great supplier in Ethiopia. Um, that's amazing. Um, like Ethiopian coffee is best in the world. Like I'm so biased, but it's it's really really good. And another thing in Ethiopia is textiles. So you can get really cool 
hand woven blankets and towels and um, all kinds of things that are just gorgeous. Um, private label tea and just tea in general is big. So um, Kenya, let's say Tanzania and Uganda, we have some really great tea suppliers there. Um, the tea supplier in Tanzania actually sources from Kilimanjaro with smallholder farmers and they're, it's called Kazi Yetu. It's a really cool brand. Um, vanilla, cocoa, um, those are all of Uganda, Madagascar. Um, one of my favorite brands is called Imadora and they're in Mauritius and it's this really amazing swimsuit company. And they actually use like the fabric that they use for their swimsuits is made from plastic that has been pulled out of the ocean. And the swimsuits look totally normal. You would never, you would never guess that, but it's, it's such a pleasure to be promoting them and helping them find um, buyers because it's like every swimsuit that is sold, there's like less plastic in the ocean. It's made by women. It's founded by a woman and it has slow fashion principles. So Things like that I like promoting. Um, but in South Africa, you have wine and really good hot sauce. And um, man, I could, I could go on and on. But I would say there are just so many incredible products, lots of private label suppliers. And when you start to look at, um, you know, I think people kind of get annoyed with Alibaba. Sometimes you get, you know, suppliers that won't stop calling you or sometimes they have quality standards. Um and I've seen some buyers switch to an African provider after COVID just because China and India had slower producing times. Um, so I think African suppliers not only have unique products, really good products, but a lot of times they have fast turnarounds and competitive prices. Um, and I think that's that's creating a bigger demand for them now. With manufacturing in China, and I, I sometimes think that the West is a little bit bipolar in terms of their reactions and responses to outsourcing and offshoring and things like that. And almost they can't win, but there's a criticism that people manufacturing these goods for the West are not earning enough money. And, you know, I'm not sure what sort of perspective they're taking that from. They're certainly not earning a decent New York salary of $5,000 a month, but the salary they're earning is is probably a great opportunity to earn money doing a good job in a safe environment with good colleagues and a career ladder. Um, what are your thoughts in terms of the, the sort of response of the West to say, you know, if someone's not earning the same salary as I'm earning in New York, then it's not fair. Um, how, how do you see that balancing out in, in this whole perspective? That's a good question. I think, well, first of all, I love that consumers do care about, um, you know, how their workers are treated. I think that's a really positive thing. I think you have to remember that in a lot of the African communities, the cost of living is lower. Um, you know, it doesn't, rent isn't the same in Kigali as it is in New York. So I think things like that have to be kept in perspective. Um, but the one thing you know, I think that's caused a problem is there's traditionally just been a lot of middlemen involved who who take most take most of the money. So one thing we really are focused on with Cradle is trying to do direct matching and take out some of those middlemen so that, um, you know, the wages can be bumped up a little bit um, because there there's less people, you know, taking taking the money away. And um, so I think when there's more direct trade, 
the the buyer benefits because they they can pay less, and then the the worker and the farmer benefit because they can make more money. So that's one thing I guess we've been more focused on. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? it, it it's really the layers in between, and again, maybe the technology and these platforms now connecting the buyer and seller and making them closer, then that sort of eradicates a lot of these things. Often with like farming and things like that, there's often cooperatives and they are just being sort of radically generalizing now, but often those cooperatives, they can s- sort of unfairly leverage the individuals within them. Um, I don't know. Um, is there sort of solutions to that that you see? Like can producers and manufacturers kind of stand independent if there is a healthy marketplace and economy um, directly available to them? Yeah, I mean, and it's not it's not that all, it's not that everyone has to be independent because at the end of the day, a farmer who's in a really rural area does need you know, a manufacturer or somebody else to get the product from them, um, ship it out for them, find the buyer, you know, they, there might be language barriers. There's, you know, it's not that all middlemen are all, um, everyone has to be a hundred percent independent. Um, I think it's just about making it more, making the system more transparent and, um, you know, being a little bit more, more efficient, I guess, overall. Yeah. And you have, worked your way back to the US then? And what is, uh, what do I say? Uh, and so it's been an incredible journey for you. It, it, do you feel that you are sort of almost more valuable in the US to the Cradle mission? Like, because you're sort of connecting the two ends and, and you have a lot of opportunity in the US then to do your job from there? Is, is, um, is that a sort of powerful aspect yeah, to to cradle i i think so we i mean we moved back um earlier this year partly because my husband um got a job in the u.s and um just with having small kids um it was it was nice for me to be closer to to my family and um just i haven't been back in the u.s since grad school so it's been about a decade so it's it was it was a good return um but i do find it easier to work with buyers um, here because I'm on the same time zone. It's easier just to have them text me or call me. Um, when I go into a store, I am like that annoying person who's like, so how come you don't have any like African source products from here? Like, let me introduce you to, you know, so-and-so, um, which, you know, I wouldn't have the opportunity to do that when I was still based in Ethiopia. And certainly spending a decade in the continent was was really helpful um, and I think, you know, just being, having my husband who's Ethiopian will always be kind of back and forth between the U S and Ethiopia. And, um, I am like a diehard travel fan. So I know we'll always be traveling the African continent as well. Um, but right now I am, I am enjoying being back in the U S and, um, I think I was a little bit of in a bubble where I just, I for example, I just knew that outsourcing was huge in Ethiopia, but then I come to the U.S. and I realize that people still don't know that. So mm. it's helpful to be here and see what the perspectives are and be a little bit more part of um, hopefully making a change. 
It is interesting. I mean, I wasn't praying when I was asking that, but it's. Uh, I, I do find, you know, I, I live in the Philippines and the outsourcing industry is is the single biggest industry in the country, contributing about sort of 14% to the GDP. And it, and it is a, a big economic bubble. But often, you know, the clients are actually overseas. They're, they're sitting in New York, they're in London. And the the you sort of almost forget you focus too much on the industry and the operation of the industry and you almost forget about the client and what their needs are and their understanding of what outsourcing is and their apprehensions and what's stopping them from starting uh, and it's a fascinating thing and i find that you know people that have or bpo owners or that are based overseas they sort of balance that perspective a lot more and then they're able to actually maybe serve the needs of their clients even better because they're more connected to the the client perspective. It's mm-hmm. it's interesting, isn't it? It's it's always important to balance those things out, especially you know you are a, a marketplace, so it's all about balancing those two sides, isn't it? Right. Yeah, I would say that, especially because the the stereotype about sourcing products or talent from African countries is still you know so limited that. You know, it's helpful when they see me in person or they know that um, I have a buyer who's coming through Pittsburgh, uh, you know, recently. So I'm meeting up with them. It's, it's helpful for them to see someone um, in person and to see that we're real, real people, real business. We have real suppliers. Um, and hopefully, yeah, through time, you, you know, things will change and um, it'll be easier. But it is, yeah, it's going to be based here and to meet clients face to face. And I think that that's helpful. Amazing. Amazing, Jenny and Valerian. So where do you see Cradle then in the sort of five year and, and 50 years? Do you do you see this with, with products, I suppose? It's always difficult because you're always, there's so much noise, isn't there? You know, like um, mm-hmm. they're incredible products. There's an incredible story, incredible um, origin, but there's just so much noise in, in products in terms of everyone is mm-hmm. advertising to get the limited attention of consumers or buyers. Um, but do you see that? Where do you where do you see this going over over five fifty years? When it comes to products, I would really love to to be part of the solution on reducing shipping cost. So um, you know, Cradle's really B two B focused. So even when we do find these really amazing buyers who want to source from African providers, unfortunately, sometimes the shipping can actually cost more than the goods. And so we have, you know, a partnership with DHL that's reducing costs, but I would love to be part of that more so and reduce just shipping costs across the continent. And there's a lot of players in that space that we are teaming up with. Um, And I think African, you know, African businesses still don't have great access to finance or the infrastructure they need. So I would love to help provide you know, funding and resources so that, you know, they have better equipment so that the products can get, um, you know, even better and more and more can be FDA approved. So I think in the long run, you know, with Cradle, when it comes to products, we want to be part of the solutions on what's holding back more African companies from being able to be so, um, to, to make them more global. And when it comes to, to outsourcing, Man, there's the sky's the limit. I'm, you know, every day we're finding new new emails from clients who want um, teams of customer service reps and developers, and so I hope we can just create a meaningful impact on creating 
lots and lots more jobs in Ethiopia and even other African countries. Um, so yeah, I mean, if I in 50 years made people want to source from Africa more and um, there's this statistic that says, you know, Africa only contributes 2% to, to the world's like markets. Like they only have 2% of the market share of global trade. And if you increase that by just 1%, you would create $70 billion worth of new revenue for the continent each year. And that's three times more than, then the continent receives an aid and it would lift, I think, 100 million people out of poverty. So if we could just increase trade with Africa by 1% in 50 years, I would be like so happy and uh, satisfied. Wow, that's incredible, isn't it? And, and it just shows it, it, it is easy, well, relatively easy to move the needle on these things, isn't it? You know, you just, it's, um, yes. but of course, it, it uh, that's a lot of hard work there. So Valerie, incredible and incredible journey and incredible story. So Thank you so much. If anyone wants to learn more about Cradle, uh, look at the products or get in touch with you, how can they do that? Yeah, that's a great question. So you can go to our website, cradle.com, and it's cradle, C-R-D-L-E.com. And from there, you'll find our email, our social media pages, and you can send us a message with um, whatever you want. We're always meeting people on Zoom and having one-on-one conversations and connecting them to the right supplier. And that's what's really exciting. So yeah, head to the website. Brilliant. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Valerie. Thank you so much. That was Valerie Bowden, the founder of Cradle.com. That's spelt C-R-D-L-E.com. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to ask us anything, just drop us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.